All right, we're in the book of Daniel. And it's been an interesting journey talking about Daniel because uh, although it was uh, an event that occurred uh, some 3,000 years ago, the, the, the uh, impact of what we're learning has so many applications uh, to where we are uh, today. Today we're going to be talking about these young people that come from Jerusalem to uh, uh, Babylon, and they don't know anything. They don't know culture. They don't know language. Everything changes for them, and they have to figure out how they are going to survive and how they are going to thrive. And the application today and where we're going today is however we handle the scope of our relationships in, as exiles, us being so often in a situation where we find our values and our, our attitudes and our beliefs don't match in with our culture either, the bottom line for Daniel and his friends is the same for us. If we can figure out how to insert our beliefs, attitudes, actions, our values into a system that is different from ours, we will learn how to not only survive, and not only how to just gather people around us that are just like us, we will learn how to thrive, how to grow, and how to impact the culture that God has put us in the middle of. So let me start here. How do exiles thrive. Let me give you, um, these are um, four things that Michael and I have been talking about. These four things, we call them VABs, uh, values, attitudes, beliefs, and systems. These four areas uh, are indicative of every person that walks on the planet. Every person has values. Every person has attitudes. <laughs> yes, and some have uh, worse attitudes than others. So every person has beliefs, and every person is inserted into a system where they have to make those values, attitudes, and beliefs function. Sometimes the system of, of uh, relationships or the system of culture that we're in is not friendly to our personal values, attitudes, and beliefs. For instance, several years ago, I took a... Uh, missions trip down to Peru. And when we were down there, uh, I was in charge of organizing when the buses would show up and where we're going to be and what activities we are going to do. We were working with a church and we were trying to uh, build a section of their church for them. And so we had to show up there at the work site at 10 o'clock. So as I'm talking with our liaison in Peru, I said, okay, we got to be out of the hotel that we're staying at. We got to, <laughs> I call it a hotel, uh, but out of the building where we were staying and sleeping, we have to be out of there and we have to be into the worksite tent. So I'm thinking maybe we should have the bus show up at 9.45. So the guy says to me, the liaison, Peruvian, says to me, he says, okay, then we'll, have the, we'll ask the bus driver to show up at 8 o'clock. And I said, no, I don't think you understand. I don't, I want to leave here at 8 if we get there too early, our stuff's not going to be there. We're not going to get anywhere. He said, I said, we need to get there. We need to be there at 10. So I'm thinking, you know, 945 should be just fine. He said, no, no, no. You don't understand. You're not in America anymore. If you want the bus to show up at 945, you tell the bus driver to be there at 8. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty silly to me, but he lives here. He should know what he's doing. So we asked the guy to show up at 8 o'clock in the bus. We said, we got to be out of here by 8. Don't be late. Guess what time the bus driver showed up? 9.45. 9.45. You see, because in that system, when you, uh, they're not that attached to their watches like we are. Everything is a little more laid back. It doesn't make it right. 
and it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it a little frustrating when you're trying to mingle the cultures together. And if you're attached to your watch, like most Americans are, moving into that culture becomes a very weird and challenging thing. In Daniel's situation, he is faced not just with a time issue, but he is faced with a system that challenges every, every belief, every attitude he has about God, every single thing that he values in his life. All of that is being challenged in Daniel's life and it becomes clear to him that he has to figure out how to adapt these values, these attitudes and beliefs in this brand new system and whether it would work or not. Now, move ahead to where we're at today. Do you ever feel like your values, attitudes, and beliefs are challenged by the system in which we live? Yeah, so do I, quite often. In fact, I guarantee you I'll turn on the TV when I get home and five minutes won't pass before I figure out my values, my attitudes, my beliefs are very different from what I'm seeing on television right now. We are challenged in our world today, not just with a time issue, not just with, you know, eight o'clock means 10 o'clock, not like that. In our system, what we're challenged with is, who is God? Is God really Yahweh God, or is he somebody different than who you think? Could he be God for me and God for you? Or does he have to be one? How about right and wrong? Your version of right and wrong isn't my version of right and wrong, but that doesn't make either of us right or wrong. Or how about what is holy? What does it take to get us to heaven? What does it take to get us to God in the afterlife? Although that varies different as, and vastly as well. Or how about identity? What is my purpose for even being here? I worked, uh, I drove for Uber for a little while, and I can tell you the views on what gives me purpose in life vary greatly with whoever got in my car. The fundamental difference between the world's culture and the Christian's culture comes down to one word, authority. Where do we see our values, our beliefs, and our attitudes coming from? Where do, we, where do we glean that kind of information from? And for us as believers, we go to God's word. That's where we find an unchanging view and unchanging uh, values and beliefs and attitudes that we are to adapt into our own lives. For most people... I'm sad to say, and you probably know this, for most people, they don't even explore this side of their existence. They just happen to mold into wherever they are. They, their goal in life is to blend into the crowd and don't make any waves. Because in our culture today, the worst thing you can do, the sin, if there ever was one, the sin in our culture is to make waves, is to be a changing agent in a culture that does not want to change. The culture's goal is to get us to meld in, to mold ourselves after them. And if you stand out, you're meant to uh, look pretty silly after any length of time. These Hebrews in Babylon didn't just blend in. These, these young men, they didn't just blend into the crowd. They found a way, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, over the next few weeks, we're going to discover how they found a way to stand up and thrive, grow, retain their love for God, and impact their culture for God in a very unique and smart way. 
So for the Christians, the marching orders are simply not defined by our evolving culture. We do not get our marching orders for how we behave and how we believe and how we, how, what our attitudes are like and what our values are. We don't get that from our evolving culture. We get it from God's word. Let me give you a couple of wonderful, my, some of my favorite verses in scripture. John 14, 21, Jesus himself says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love and manifest myself to him. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you know my commandments, that's what it takes to demonstrate you're a follower of mine. Plain and simple. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. His commandments give us joy. Like the psalmist said, I love your commands. These are precious to us as believers. Another one that you uh, may know in Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus again speaking says, everyone who hears these words of, what's the next word? I love it words of mine and does them will be like a wise man building his house on the rock. Jesus gives us his word. He gives us his word that contains values for us, beliefs for us, attitudes for us. And we are to adapt ourselves to those, not to what culture says. Culture in contrast evolves itself through a variety of influences. What are some of the influences that culture evolves its values, attitudes, and beliefs? What are some of the driving forces that make people change values, attitudes, and beliefs in the run of their lives? What are, what are a few? TV, media, that's a big one. Social media is a huge one. Parents, huge one. Education, huge one. All of these outside influences that force us, culture around us, to change and morph where we stand. I'll just ask you this simple question. Are we in the same culture today in America that we were 20 years ago? How about 10 years ago? And you see how culture changes so quickly. And if you challenge culture, even by the values we held just 20 years ago, you are seen as an outsider, as a, as a repellent in culture. Culture demands you morph to it. Jesus demands culture morphs to him. This is why we are constantly driven back to scripture and figure out not how we blend in and not how we stick out just to be morons, but how we understand God's word and apply it to our lives so that we can, like Daniel, stand out but do it in a smart way. That's the message today. It's pretty interesting, this passage of scripture, and I've been dying to get into it actually for two weeks uh, ever since uh, Pastor Tim and I went over this, this passage uh, together. Daniel has immediately changed everything about his life. He hasn't. Other people have for him. Changes language, changes his identity. He's not called Daniel anymore. In fact, his name now means praise to a false god. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Yorshak, Meshach, and a bungalow. All of these guys have their names changed from a, a name that praises God to a name that praises a false god in Babylon. Their languages change, their names change, their homes change, their parents are gone. Their friends are removed. 
They are not around each other. They are turned into slaves. Their societal status changes. Everything changes for them. And then comes one change that Daniel can take a stand against. And that is food. It is the weirdest thing in the world to take a stand against food. But when Daniel is given the king's food to eat, he does something very unique. He chooses that this will be the line he draws in the sand, and he will not eat the king's food. Now, he takes his life on the line. We're going to find out how that looks exactly. He puts other people's lives on the line. But this is where he chooses to draw the line, here with food. And I think it's here because this is one area Daniel could control. All the other things he, could, he can't control being taken into slavery, can't control them changing his name, he can't control the education that he's about, he can't control any of that. But this is one area he's willing to take a risk and he's willing to change. And in actuality, through the process, Daniel becomes an even stronger follower of Yahweh through the process. Daniel's about to show us how it is possible to live in Babylon and yet not be seduced by its values, beliefs, and attitudes. How we can live in a culture that's ever-changing and not be seduced to change our values, our attitudes, and our beliefs. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 8. And the very first word in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8 is, but... <laughs> Yeah, you're probably wondering, well, why in the world are you going to start with that word? Because thriving requires resolve. If we are going to make a difference in the culture that we are in, we must be resolved in our heart that we know who we are. That's why the first verse starts that we're going to look at today starts with this conjunction, but... In every area of Daniel's life, everything out of his control, he's being made to look like every other Babylon around him, Babylonian around him. But in this area, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, we are not told exactly what was wrong with the king's food or the king's wine. There's a lot of speculation. Maybe it was offered to idols before it was given to Daniel. Like we pray and thank God for our food, and we say in Jesus' name, amen. We're confessing that we have this food because God the Father has given it to us, and Jesus is the one that we give thanks to because he gives us the ability to, to use it and to keep our bodies healthy. We give all the credit to him. Well, in the same way, the Babylonians, when they ate food, they sacrificed it to their God first, and then they would eat it afterwards. That could be what's going on here. Or it could be that Gentiles prepared the food, and good Jewish young men don't eat food that's prepared by unclean Gentiles. It's a long time ago. Take it up with the Jewish system, all right? In our day and age, it doesn't maybe not apply quite as much, but in this day, this was prepared by Gentiles, and that might be the reason that they declined it. Or it could be that this food broke Levitical law, which means that some of it might have had blood in it. Some of it might be from animals that are not allowed to eat. The Levitical law prohibits all those things. Whatever it was, Daniel said, if I eat this food, it would be wrong. And so here is where I am going to draw the line. Here is where I am going to take a stand for God and maintain my 
love for Yahweh, who I am at the core, my values, my attitudes, and my beliefs, but still operate in this culture. Now, I need to say this also. This is not just any food. Whose food is this? How good do you think this food is? Probably good. Daniel chose <coughs> vegetables <laughs> over the king's food. Now, if you're a fan of vegetables, bravo, I am not. If you saw my video, peas and carrots, <laughs> they're not high on my priority list, especially if they're out of a bag or boiled. That's like my, my mom made them. I just, I'm not keen on that. But uh, this food was given to the king for him to eat, and the king gave them the same quality of food. They were turning down filet mignon for vegetables. All right, so if you like vegetables, that makes no difference to you, but for everybody that doesn't, you're going, oh man, that's, that's a big step, and I would agree that that would be a big step. Why did he draw the line with food? Well, I think this was a chance for him to stand out and not look like the people around it and him. And so he decided that he would risk it, he would draw the line, and he would actively resist full assimilation by making the line here. Which takes me to my big first thought for you today. Tweet this, it's great. God saved me to stand out. God did not save me to blend in. God saved me to stand out. Whatever God has for me, I am going to necessarily have to stand out. It will require me not looking like the people around me. It will require me saying, I will not do what everybody else does. It will require me taking a stand for Jesus when everybody else is not. It might even require me looking different than the Christians around me who are not taking a stand for God because in the book of Daniel, an entire society has been exiled, but we only know four names. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can I just ask you, what happened to the rest of them? What, what are everybody else doing? And in our world today, it's the same thing. God did not save us to blend in. God saved us to stand out. And the reason we know about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is because they were saved, and they knew they were saved to stand out. And they did just that. And so the question becomes, well, Craig, where do I draw the line in this culture? Where do I know when the line is? Because there's so many different, there's not a million places you could draw the line in our culture. I mean, okay, I don't, I don't believe that. And my attitude isn't that. And my values aren't those. But where do we draw the line? Let me just give you a simple, easy explanation. I know it's, it's almost so simple that it's scary. You got to listen to the Holy Spirit. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are given the Holy Spirit because that is one of his main jobs, is convict the world of sin and to guide us into righteousness. And so if we listen to the Holy Spirit, we have the ability, this innate ability as redeemed people to be able to understand where those lines need to be drawn and when those lines need to be drawn. If you wonder if this is a place where you should draw the line, you should pray, you should fast. Those are two great disciplines that every Christian should be doing on a regular basis, praying, fasting, especially if you've got something in your heart that is like this and you're thinking, well, Craig, should I draw the line in this? Pray, fast over it. Spend time asking God, is this the line I should draw? And if you're still lost, seek godly counsel. There are people in your lives that God has put into your lives so that you can maintain relationships 
when you get into a questionable situation and you wonder, is this a place where I should be drawing the line? They are there to help you, to give you godly counsel. The key is, though, when you draw the line, we do not draw the line to be belligerent. <laughs> we do not draw the line so that we can be more righteous than the world around us. This is where we draw the line. Look at me and bow to my greatness. This is not what we do. When we draw the line, no more than Daniel did. Daniel did not draw the line so that he could be seen as a most righteous person around. He drew the line, and the way that he did it is spectacular because the way that he did it is with a great deal of humility. He drew the line not to show everybody else how they're condemned. He drew the line so that he could be who God had called him to be. Sometimes when we draw the line, we draw the line so that other people can feel bad. And that's wrong. We draw the line so that God can make us who he needs us to be. We are in that situation for a reason. And our goal is not to condemn others. That's, that's, that's not our job. In fact, John 3.17 says it's not our job to condemn the world. Can I tell you something? It's not even Jesus' job to condemn the world. John 3.17. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, you know this one, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever, whosoever will will have everlasting life. Believe in Jesus Christ is great. The next verse, though, makes it clear. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, the world is condemned already. They just don't know it. It's not our job to show them how bad they are. It's our job to show them who Christ can make them into by being the person that Christ has made us to be. Daniel was resolved not just to stand out and live for the Lord, but to impact his culture with the saving truth of Yahweh. And so look at how he talked to the guy who gave him the food. The guy who gave him the food is chief of the eunuchs, right? He's in charge of these kids. He's in charge of assimilating them into Babylonian culture. If he doesn't do his job right, what, what do you think is going to happen to him? Yeah. Look at what he says, Daniel 1.8. Look how Daniel talks to the guard. Therefore, Daniel, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. See any demands there? Do you see a request? Do you see a passive request? Look how it's written. He asked, he, he made a request to the chief of the eunuchs, please, if you would allow me not to defile who I am as a Jewish young person, I can't eat this food. And I'm not being belligerent about it. And I'm not condemning you for eating it. I'm not, that has nothing to do with it. I just would like to retain a little bit of who I am, who God has called me to be. I would like to be that person if you would allow it. Great humility. And so his agenda is clear. He makes a request, not a demand. This is not personal. He wants to be who God has called him to be, a Jewish young man living in a Gentile, different culture. Which brings us to the next point. Number two, thriving requires savvy. Don't you love that word? <laughs> thriving, require, uh, thriving requires savvy. Now let me read the verse and then I'll tell you why uh, Michael and I chose that word. All right, here we go. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. Can you, can you see his, his fear here? I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head 
with the king. This eunuch is confessing that if he follows Daniel's plan to allow Daniel to be who Daniel believes God is calling him to be, 